Hi, I'm Paul Jay. Welcome to the Analysis.News podcast. The Democratic Party has released a series of documents on its plans for dealing with the climate crisis, that is, if Biden wins the presidential election in November. Biden has been applauded as the coming climate change president with a Rooseveltian vision for the future. And he's been slammed for refusing to confront the fossil fuel industry and an over-reliance on unproven carbon capture technology. As things stand now, and assuming there are elections in November, which I think is still somewhat of a question mark, Biden will be the next president. Will his climate policies live up to the urgency of the threat? Now joining us from Chicago is Dayton Martindale. He's a freelance writer on science and politics, was previously associate editor at In These Times. Thanks for joining us, Dayton. Hi, thanks for having me. So, so Dayton, uh, two or three different documents have surfaced over the last few weeks. Uh, what are they? And what is the Biden administration, assuming there's going to be one, what's it promising to do about climate? Yes. So it's kind of difficult to keep track of all of it. Um, about a month ago, there were two that came out, one from a DNC kind of internal council on climate change um, and a much longer one from the House Democrats. Um, who had a select committee on climate change suggesting uh, a congressional approach to the issue. But um, we get a better sense of Biden's specific priorities in three that have all come out in the last you know, week or two, um, which, which have a lot of overlap. So the first one is um, what came out of the uh, unity task force on climate change. So that's, um, you know, some of some people in the Bernie wing and some people in the Biden wing got together, um, to release platform recommendations on pretty much every major issue. And, and that's, that's co-chaired by John Kerry and AOC. That's correct. Yeah. So that came out, they came out with their recommendations, like I said, maybe two weeks ago. Um, and then last week, um, the simultaneously uh, Biden released a um, a new climate plan for clean energy on his website, um, as well as there was a draft of the Democratic platform um, was obtained and published by Politico. Um, so kind of in those two most recent documents, um, which are both heavily shaped by that unity task force, you see kind of where Biden and the Democratic Party are right now. Um and it, you know, like all climate change things, it could be a lot worse. It could be a lot better. Um, it definitely marks an improvement from where Biden was about a year ago. So on his website, he's now calling for, I believe, $2 trillion in investment over his first term, um, which is up from, you know, a year ago, he was saying not even that much over 10 years. Um, and it has a lot more specific uh, timelines and goals than his previous plans did. Um, for example, uh, it wants the electricity sector to be carbon pollution free by 2035. Um, every city with 100,000 or more people has a robust zero emissions transit system within a decade. Um, you know, there are specific numbers of homes to be uh, weatherized and, and made efficient and build new homes. Um, and there's also a heavy emphasis on manufacturing, um, union jobs, rebuilding infrastructure and rebuilding the auto industry, which I'll go back to later. Um, and uh, innovation is also big research into new technologies um, that both could be very useful in decarbonizing the economy, um, but some of them aren't necessarily guaranteed to be um, 
feasible on a short time scale. So did any of this surprise you in, in the sense that you've been fairly critical of Democratic Party climate policy up until now? So is, is there anything in here that surprised you in a positive way? And then let's get into what's missing. Yeah, I'll say um, one slight surprise is just that Biden was willing to move at all um, from where he was a year ago. He's obviously been kind of uh, stubborn in defending a vision of politics that's very different from where uh, a lot of the Democratic Party should be at right now. Um, and so I guess there's some positive just in the fact that he's changed his tune a bit and willing to up at least some of his um, some of his previous commitments, make them more ambitious. That said, can we believe that he will carry out everything he's now promising? Not necessarily, but at least this gives us a tool to put his foot to the fire if and when he's in office. Um, and the other thing I want to point out as um, something I was happy to see is what he called the climate, uh, excuse me, a civilian climate core models off kind of the uh, civilian conservation core of the New Deal, uh, but basically putting young people to work, uh, rebuilding, restoring ecosystems, planting trees, uh, doing forest management. Um, doing lots of habitat restoration and work to both protect the climate and the environment um, is is an idea that uh, you know has been bouncing around for a while. It was uh, Jay Inslee's campaign put forward a version of it, um, and it's exciting to see that kind of marriage of, of climate and jobs uh, and federally funded jobs from Biden. Um, you know, I'd like to see more on how many, you know, how, how are they going to be paid? Are they going to be sort of given a living wage, or is it going to be more like AmeriCorps-style um, semi-exploitative? But um, I'm at the very least excited to see that. Now, if you look at what scientists are saying, is the window for effective action and really dramatic effective action is being called for. Uh, you know, we're already going to hit the 1.5. I think that's a given, 1.5 degrees Celsius of uh, t- global temperature warming post-industrial uh, compared to pre-industrial. Uh, and, and we're more than likely on the way to two degrees. Is there anything in what's been proposed that actually stops us from getting to two degrees? Because, I mean, it, while, while this all sounds good, in relation, certainly in relationship to Trump, because at least there is a climate policy, and it's, it's as you say, it's more robust than what Biden has proposed even when he was campaigning during the primaries. Uh, from what I can make out, it's, it's nowhere near what's actually needed to prevent, you know, heading towards catastrophe. And there still seems to be a lack of a sense of urgency. Uh, and, and I'm, you know, I wonder, I don't want to, you know, just rain on this parade because like you say, it is something. Um, but that being said, if it doesn't deal with the urgency of, of, of a looming catastrophe, then it seems that in fact, it's kind of, denying the science in a way. And is this just kind of a sop to get the left wing of the party on board? Because even if everything in this plan actually is executed on, let's say the Democrats control the Senate, the House, and then they win the White House and so on, if they do all of this, we still hit hit and pass two degrees warming, don't we? Yeah. So um, the whole world needs to be zero emissions by 2050. Um, and then after that, we need to be um, kind of negative net emissions, um, ideally through, you know, forests and wetlands and other other natural carbon sinks. Um, and 
Biden's goal is still for the U.S. to hit net zero emissions at that 2050 goal. Um, I think what is widely agreed upon is that the wealthier countries, um, both because of their historical responsibility and because they are wealthy, can and should aim for a much faster timeline um, than 2050. Because if the U.S. still is only barely getting to net zero by 2050, it's unlikely the whole planet will be there. So all that is to say the sort of top line goal of the plan is very insufficient. Um, you know, a lot of people in the climate movement want to see goals like 2040, 2035, 2030 for the U.S., and Biden's still stuck at 2050. So that's one thing. Another is um, a lot of his proposals sound kind of ambitious. For example, um, build one and a half million sustainable homes in his first term. Um, it's And I... If the wording is sort of ambiguous. It suggested that at least most of these, perhaps all, are supposed to be affordable homes. Um, that kind of sounds like a lot, but um, you know, if you look at the Bernie Sanders Green New Deal proposal, for instance, that was more than seven million uh, affordable, sustainable public housing units were supposed to be built. Um, People's Action is called has called for eleven million. So it's just kind of a pattern of looking at the crisis from Joe Biden and saying, eh, I'll do some of that. Um, and the problem with climate change is that every degree, every 10th degree, degree counts. So <laughs> there's no, you know, if you do half of it, it's not that the outcome is half as good. Oftentimes it's less than half as good because things get worse as you get warmer and warmer. Um, there's, you know, not only is there a risk of certain tipping points being reached, for example, if, the Arctic permafrost starts melting and releasing methane um, that could greatly accelerate warming. But even then, you know, three degrees is so much is worse than two degrees. Four degrees is so, so much worse than three degrees. Well, so much worse that most of the planet is not inhabitable. Right. It begins, it begins looking apocalyptic fairly quickly. Um, and so what you get from the Biden proposal uh, and, you know, similarly in the in the draft platform um, that came out last week is an unwillingness to confront the status quo. He want, he's fine with investing in all these things. And even then um, it's generally a lot of like either public private partnerships or incentivizing, you know, tax incentives for private investment and stuff. He's very um, hesitant to just kind of say, have the government do it or have the public sector just do it. You know, whether that be building public, um, publicly owned solar and wind power or um, or a jobs guarantee. Uh, he's He kind of wants the private sector to be doing it. But even then, he's okay investing in renewables, but he's not okay confronting the fossil fuel industry or for that matter, you know, the aviation industry or the beef industry um, and big ag in general. He's kind of relying on technology to get us out of having to say no to some of these corporations. And so he said, you know, last week he said fracking jobs are not on the chopping block. Uh, he's not he's not wanting to, to ramp down fossil fuel extraction. Um, so I think what we're going to get is maybe a, a drastic increase in renewable energy, uh, but we're also still going to be extracting oil and gas um, and either using that at home or exporting it. And then 
two things. One is you're not being honest with the workers that work in those sectors if you're serious, uh, although he doesn't want to do anything about those sectors. But not only should he, he should have a real plan for how you transition workers from those sectors to renewable sector. I mean, Robert Poland, the economist, has done quite a bit of work on this and has a real plan on how you subsidize workers during the transition. You don't let them take the fall for it. But by not being honest about all of this, either he's not going to have a plan that's effective or he's not he's going to be susceptible to Trump saying to those workers, he really is going to come after you if he's really going to hit the targets he's talking about. And then the other part of this is he really is relying on carbon capture to hit these numbers. And it's, if I understand it correctly, quite an unproven technology. I mean, I don't have anything against investment to see if it could be proven, but you can't plan based on it when it's not yet proven. Exactly. I'm glad you brought that up because that's really kind of the linchpin upon which his whole sort of approach rests is that technology is going to solve the carbon capture capture problem. And we're going to be be able to both um, directly take carbon dioxide out of the air and to scrub it from existing oil and gas uh, or or gas or coal power plants. Um, So... Like you said, you know, there's some debate on the left over whether it's worth worth researching. Um, I'm I lean toward toward your end of, at the very least, like look into it. Um, but there's just no evidence so far that it can be scaled up to the level it would need to be to be really impactful uh, on the timeline that's needed. And so to sort of bet the farm on this technology coming through is. Like you said, incredibly not only incredibly dangerous, but also kind of a a lie to um, to people who work in those industries. What's frustrating to me, especially, is that Biden and his team often sort of frame frame his approach as more worker friendly than, say, the Green New Deal resolution. And you know, it's true he does he does have some stuff around like protecting the right to organize. Um, and, and other elements, you know, some benefits for, for co-workers. Um, but he sort of frames himself as worker friendly because he's promising not to get rid of the gas industry, or at least he's, he's being kind of silent about it. Um, but what's actually worker friendly is what's in the Green New Deal of you actually, you know, provide these people with, with training and with jobs that are actually good jobs that are, you know, at the same level of payment or more than the previous ones. And you can do this through a federal jobs guarantee. There's, you know, if you go through Biden's plan or anyone's plan, it's clear that there's more than enough work to go around. Um, so it's kind of a slate of hand that he's doing, pretending to be worker friendly through, like you said, either he'll end up looking like a liar or even worse, he'll, you know, his vision will come true and we'll just still have natural gas in four years, eight years, 12 years that uh, will continue burning the planet. Yeah, I think there's, first of all, in terms of the promise of being for union organizing, I remember when he ran the first election with Barack Obama and they promised the Employee Free Choice Act and they absolutely promised up and down they would pass that in the first term and that was going to make it easier to organize unions. And then they never even brought it to the floor 
at all as a piece of legislation. And, and, and so I don't know how much to believe about that. Yeah. More importantly, to me, if you cut to the heart of this, $2 trillion of investment is, is going to be an, an amazing opportunity to make money for the financial financialization of this plan, for the various sectors that are going to make money out of building the infrastructure. It's not going to be done through, you know, publicly owned companies. It's all, you know, 99% of it will probably go through uh, privately owned companies. So it's going to be a ton of money made on this. Now, not to say it isn't good, but that gets accomplished. And frankly, if in fact it was the effective plan that would deal with the climate catastrophe, then I don't care how much money they make on it. Let them make money. I, I, we can't be like moralistic about this because we're in a, we're, you know, the urgency is such. But if you only do the one, that half of it, and you don't phase out fossil fuel, and you don't deal fully with the implications that carbon catcher, capture is unlikely to be effective, if you don't really build a plan based on not having carbon capture, then all you're really doing is another, you know, is a kind of an infrastructure plan that great, it may stimulate and make some jobs and so on and so on. But we're going to pass two degrees, we're going to hit three degrees, and it just ain't going to matter. Exactly. I think uh, on Biden's website, uh, it includes the element that uh, he's planning to sort of retrofit and weatherize 4 million buildings and 2 million homes in his first term and create 1 million jobs. And uh, what is clarified in the draft platform that was that came out last week um, that Politico obtained is it's similar wording, except it's saying it's going to incentivize tens of billions in private sector investment to do these things. Um, so again, it's it's not Biden wants to do these things directly. He wants to give businesses the chance to do that. Um, I think that's, you know, a risk that in a capitalist system, are these corporations really going to be prioritizing what's the most effective way to weatherize a home? What's the most effective way to, to green the grid or the cheapest way? Um, and so I think you might get knockoff effects of, um, you know, that these transitions won't necessarily be done in a way that's good for not only workers, but in, in their working capacity, but in their capacity, just as people living, there might be, you know, local pollution or, or whatnot. Um, and yeah, I think Biden still kind of believes in, in this sort of competitive framework. It's very clear. And when he talks about the auto industry, uh, where he says he wants to win the 21st century with a million new auto industry jobs, um, and really build up the U.S. Uh, auto industry with with electric vehicles and electric vehicle infrastructure. And it's framed as like, we're going to take on China to do this, right? China is leading the way in EVs, and that's not right. Like, this needs to be American technology, American-made technology that we can export abroad. Um, and because only Americans can do this technology right. And... That's kind of Biden being moralistic, where it's like, you know, if if China has EV technology, like, why can't we use that? Well, I'd go, I'd go further, and I think the environmental movement needs to really get their head around what I'm about to say. Now, I'm sure there are some that have, but let me talk to the ones that haven't. If the United States and China do not cooperate on dealing with climate and the pandemic. And this pandemic ain't going away anytime soon. If there isn't U.S.-China real cooperation 
we're done for. There is no way there's going to be an effective climate policy without China and the United States radically taking action. And there's no way China's going to if the U.S. doesn't. And, and the U.S. won't if China doesn't. So that means they have to have some kind of real agreement that they're going to do it. And, and not only is Trump, of course, trying to create as much provocation with China as he possibly can, Biden's trying to out China uh, bash Trump. I mean, he had an ad a few weeks ago where Biden was going after Trump for being weak on China. You can just see this theme unfolding during the campaign. In what position will Biden be to create this kind of necessary collaboration after like, we, you know, a, a whole election campaign about he's he's more militant anti-China than Trump is? Yeah, I couldn't believe that ad when it came out. And it really... I think is attention in the party potentially because uh, I was reading the the draft platform and there's a lot of language around you know not wanting to start a new cold war with with China um, but also sort of wanting to be stricter with it than Trump is being and so it's like you know they want to pay lip service to the fact that oh we're not trying to be provocative we're just provoking them. Um, and then if you look at cli- uh, the new climate plan from Biden, didn't get a lot into international stuff. It was more focused on domestic manufacturing. But if you look at the one he released last year, uh, international diplomacy was a big element of it. And the whole tone was, you know, China is a bad actor. China is emitting too much. And like the U.S. needs to take leadership to, you know, show them who's boss. And it's like, yeah. Like, you know, China is a big emitter. Um, one, is is U.S., you know, scolding really going to help that? Is that something that they're going to be receptive to? No, like you said, we need to cooperate internationally. Um, and two, it's, it's just so embarrassing because it's not like the U.S. has a leg to stand on. Um, we've emitted more, obviously, historically than China has. We still emit more per capita. A lot of China's emissions are, you know, manufacturing consumer goods for the U.S. and Europe. So it's not like... The U.S. good, China bad, like like Biden tries to frame it. It's kind of right now. It's kind of like both are not great, and need to work together to both be uh, better. Um, and that's just not the approach Biden has to these things. Um, I want to say one more thing as well about the auto industry because that's uh, where China comes up in this this newest uh, policy from Biden and. He does talk about transit to his credit, but I think a little too much emphasis can be put on building electric vehicles when, um, you know, there are so many other both social and environmental problems linked to the private automobile um, in terms of sprawl, in terms of, you know, air pollution, just people sitting in traffic all the time. um, And also materials for, for the cars. There are, um, you know, to, for batteries for electric cars, like that stuff has to be mined. And often it's, you know, um, in Latin America or, or elsewhere where there aren't necessarily strict protections. Um, and Biden does kind of pay lip service in the plan to, to having supply chains uh, that are U.S. based. But I also don't know if we want to be opening tons of new mines in the U.S. either. I think the general idea would be to use less of these materials and switch much more aggressively to transit and other other shared transportation methods rather than just replacing every oil powered car with an electric car. Um, 
is not really an environmental vision of the future. Uh, BlackRock, the big financial asset management company, uh, which I keep blabbing on about if people that follow the, the analysis know, uh, they, BlackRock and State Street and Vanguard control more uh, wealth than the GDP of China. Uh, BlackRock in a report recently said that the rivalry between the U.S. and China is going to uh, heat up, intensify. Countries are going to have to choose which side they're on. And the, the underlying problem here is that the fundamental dynamics of capitalism in the United States and capitalism in China, these big powers are bumping into each other. And the fact that China has supplanted the United States as the trade top trading partner for many countries in Latin America and Africa and certainly in Asia. Uh, and, and the uh, elites of the United States simply don't want to accept that they're, they're in a bipolar world. Um, and if this was normal times, I guess this would rivalry would carry on for a while and hopefully there wouldn't be a war and they would blow us all up, which cannot be ruled out given the insanity, frankly, on both sides, although the Americans certainly are more insane on these issues than anyone. And the U.S. has way more nuclear weapons than China does. China, so far at least, has been relatively modest in the numbers of weapons uh, they've created. But, But all that being said... If they, what if 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 they don't transcend the normal inclination of their capitalist systems and deal with climate as if there's an invasion coming from outer space, and the countries of the world had better get together or they're going to get annihilated by this alien uh, invasion force. Uh, you know, in science fiction films, we've seen that where all of a sudden all these countries get together at the UN and they all agree, oh, we're going to fight together and so on. I mean, we practically need something like that, which really means in the, in the U.S. political context, there needs to be a mass movement of, of, of enormous scale that demands of this Biden administration far, far deeper uh, reforms and changes about how power is wielded and, uh, you know, focused on climate. I don't think it means, uh, you know, all of a sudden you have to have uh, utopian socialism or we're done. But we really do, if this administration doesn't stand up to finance, because it's finance that owns fossil fuel. I mean, if you look at who owns the major fossil fuel companies, it's BlackRock's and Vanguard's and all the investors involved in those funds and other parts of finance. Uh, they're the controlling, the institutional, financial institutional investors are the majority control of all the big fossil fuel companies. Um, and unfortunately, right now, I don't, I don't see that movement in the United States, Canada, or really anywhere else. But I'm hoping this pandemic moment is creating the conditions that are kind of a dose of reality. Because I, honestly, as, as much as this Biden climate plan, you know, is better, it's kind of la-la land. It makes you feel like, oh, yeah, look, finally, they're going to do something at least. The problem is something at least is still a, a catastrophe. Right. I, you know... There's a, a nerdy part of my brain likes reading through all these plans uh, and, you know, read through all of them during the primaries, reading them now. And also the plans don't mean anything without a movement to back them up. Uh, you know, we've said that the Biden plan is wildly insufficient. What's even worse is that not even this could pass if 
if Republicans keep the Senate or even if they don't and we don't, you know, abolish the filibuster. Um, and so I think or if, if the right wing of the Democratic Party blocks it in the Senate, which we've seen on over and over on issues like this. The, yeah, exactly. I mean, I think we're in kind of this limbo where the plan is simultaneously not near enough and more than can be passed in the current political climate. Um, and so, I mean, I think there is a lot of good work being done to change the political climate, right? Um you know, one of the, the co-founders of Sunrise was in that Unity Task Force Commission with John Kerry and AOC, um, and hopefully we see some of move, some movement fingerprints in how the plans are changing. Even though she has also said that she's disappointed that it doesn't confront fossil fuels directly. Um, so yeah, I think whatever's in the plans, we need more. You know, almost almost no matter how good it gets, and this one isn't that good. Um, but even if, you know, even if it were Bernie's plan, we need more. I think um, hopefully with this moment of, of mass protests and dissatisfaction with every, every government from the local to the federal, um, that we will see something new arise. Uh, and potentially it's on, you know, U.S. movements also to, you know, reach out and collaborate with Chinese environmental labor movements, for instance. Um, but I think we have a lot of work to do. One thing I've been thinking is sort of as disruptive as this moment feels with, with COVID-19 and with, um, kind of the largest by number of protesters movement in history with, with the Black Lives Matter uprisings. Um, I kind of both worry and hope that, the next 10, 20, 30 years are all going to kind of feel like this in some ways where we can't, um, you know, hopefully we won't be stuck inside all the time. Hopefully we won't have a pandemic, but we'll have natural disasters uh, rising in number and we'll be needing to push for more and more uh, at all levels from the governmental to community groups uh, in climate response and environmental response and for other social justice issues. So I, I think kind of this unsteady moment feels unsteady and might just be you know, what the rest of our lives look like, you know, for better in some ways and for worse in others. Yeah, I, I'm, I'm quite sure you're right. I also want to add, I, 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 for people that haven't heard me go on about this before, uh, I'm not in any way suggesting that there's some equivalency between Biden and Trump. Trump is an out-and-out fascist and needs to be defeated. There's no conversation at all about a climate policy as long as uh, Trump and his allies are, are in power. Uh, but that being said, uh, there shouldn't be any illusions about that what Biden represents, a, a different section of capital. And yet I think it is better that, they're, that that section of capital is in power <laughs> versus the, the, the uh, more fascistic uh, section. Uh, but we shouldn't have any illusions about it. And the, the need for the movement that's in the streets now to get bigger and broader and hopefully more able to get out of the house um, and, and to take on the Biden administration. Uh, and it's because it's natural inclination, no matter, you know, even if Joe Biden's an, a perfectly nice guy, which so many people seem to think he is, uh, let's 
take their word for it that he is. But his inclination in his whole career is to go where the political winds uh, take him. And the biggest political wind comes from Wall Street. And there's no reason why he won't keep leaning that way uh, unless the, the, the and, and one has to really applaud these progressives that have run for office and some have won, some haven't, but I think it's a really positive development. Uh, and the movement in the streets has to take on a really conscious attitude, uh, not just on the question of uh, police reform, which I think is very important, but take on this issue of climate. And all these issues are so interconnected and the siloing of issues really has to take a back seat to a, to a broad, I would hope, some kind of popular front of some kind uh, where it all comes together and is able to exert real pressure on what I assume will be a Biden administration. Otherwise, uh, we're going to see a repeat of the Obama administration, a, a little different because of the pandemic moment, but not enough different to deal with the uh, nature of the threat. Yeah, I think one hopeful thought might be that a lot of these defund police movements, um, and frankly, even some of the outrage over over the virus um, are being rightly directed at Democratic mayors and governors in some cities and states. Um, where I am in Chicago, Democratic Mayor Lori Lightfoot ran as a progressive uh, and then has refused to budge on defunding the police or any a bunch of other progressive demands. Um, so hopefully I think people are getting more used to the idea that electing Democrats itself isn't the answer. Um, electing Democrats itself doesn't get us where we need to go. Um, and, you know, they need just as much as anyone else to be <laughs> the have enormous pressure on them, enormous mass movements. Uh, and even then, let's let's hope we can push them as far as we need on the timescale we need. All right. Thanks for joining us. Thank you. And thank you for joining us on the analysis.news podcast. Mm-hmm.